Well, it is good to be with you here in Coffeeville this morning. Uh, My name is Rusty Hedger. If we've not met and I work with Ozark Christian College, uh, the video you saw this morning briefly uh, shared uh, what your investment in Ozark does and where it goes around the world. And so I want to say thank you uh, for that and I'm happy to visit with you about the college uh, in any way possible, there's some information back uh, by the exit door there, and I'll try to be there following the service. Uh, anything I can answer, I will. Anything I can't, I won't. Uh, but I will do my best to find what those answers look like. All right. So, but Ozark is a Bible college in Joplin, Missouri, that exists to train men and women for Christian service, and have sent them uh, well over 15,000 alumni now, and you know a, two, a couple of them very well because Mike and Matthew both attended Ozark and their investment here at Coffeeville, but they've gone to all 50 states. Alumni have served there over 100 countries around the world, and you're part of that, your investment in that. We appreciate your part, partnership, your faithfulness through the years. So that's Ozark for a moment. I'm, I'm also here to preach, and so that's what I want to do with you, and excited to do that with you here in Coffeeville. I, I love to share in God's Word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. If you in any way follow along with your scripture, that's where we're going to be this morning primarily, so you could get that ready. Uh, I remember the story of a, of a, uh, a young minister who was, was at, a, at a church for his first Sunday, and uh, he wanted to do something dramatic to launch into his sermon, so he waited in the back of the, of the, of the auditorium sanctuary until it was time to preach, and he was going to preach about the passage about Jesus coming back, and so when it was time for him to start, he started in from the back door between the, the aisle down between the two seats, and as he came in the door, he, he started to quote the scripture, Behold, I come quickly, and that was all he could remember of the scripture they were supposed to recite. And so, flustered and young and not knowing what to do, he went back to start over. Got to back to the door and everybody was sitting, waiting patiently. And he come in a second time and said, Behold, I come quickly. And, and the scripture still wasn't getting in his head what he was going to say next. He thought a third time a char- charm. And so he went out again and he started in a third time and said, Behold, I come quickly. And about that time he tripped over the leg of a chair and stumbled his way up the aisle and landed on the lap of one of the elderly ladies in the church right up towards the front. He got up and looked at her and said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She said, honey, don't worry about it. You told me three times you were coming. I should have expected it. (laughs) I've known for some time I'm going to be here through talking with the secretary, then to Emily and the missions team and coordinating all the things. So it's just good to be here and, and excited to talk with you about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is probably, in lots of Christians' minds, one of the most incredible books of all of Scripture. Uh, for people who are just beginning, they might read some of it and say, wow, there's some pretty heavy stuff in this. For people who've been Christians for years and years, And years look at things in the book of Romans about predestination and free will and spiritual gifts and and the body of Christ and overcoming adversity and and struggles and battles about what it means to get rid of our sin and what, what is reconciliation and atonement. I mean, there's some big stuff in there. But the basis of the book of Romans, when Paul wrote it, if you read through chapter 1 particularly, is the apostle Paul is saying to the Roman Christians, hey, I can't wait to be with you. 
up until this point in my ministry, I've not been able to come, although you need to know my heart's longing has been to be with you, but I, I can't get there. I've been prohibited from coming, and so I'm looking for the time when I can be there, and then then I can share with you, and you can share with me. We can mutually build each other up in our faith. That's what the book of Romans is about, and so until he could get there, he begins to write to them all these incredible foundational truths about our faith and who Jesus Christ is as followers of his. The difference he makes in us and the difference he wants to make in the world as he works through you and I. So in Romans chapter 1, I want to read, starting with verse 14 with you this morning, as he gets kind of the middle of chapter 1 and the end of his greeting time, and here's what he writes. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I can't wait to get there. I, I, I have this obligation in my heart to share with you the gospel. The gospel is just a word that means good news, if you don't know that. I, I can't wait to talk to you about the good news about Jesus Christ. I, I, I just am overwhelmed. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to those who are Jews, also to those who are Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Lots of scriptures can teach us lots of the things that are in the book of Romans. Paul's just trying to say to this group of believers in the city of Rome and the church that had spread there in the first century of Christianity, hey, here's the good news. I I want you to get this, and I want you to understand I can't wait to talk to you in person about it. I can't wait to preach to you about it. Everywhere I go, I long to talk about it. Here's the basic. Here's the, the good news of Jesus Christ. I think he is so... Enthused, I'm not ashamed, he says. I don't know you guys, really. I I don't. Uh, I've learned a couple of your names so far. So I don't know if this is true or not about you, but most people, by the time they've lived life for a while, have a moment or two or a thing or two that they've said, something they've done that they're ashamed of. I wish that hadn't happened. I wish I could take that back. We, we know the difference in being ashamed of something and not ashamed of something, don't we? I mean, when you're not ashamed of something, it's like in the olden days, the grandparent who had the wallet full of all kinds of pictures of the grandkids. Now it's the phone they pull out and scroll through all the pictures. But we're not ashamed of our grandkids. We're not ashamed of this business. We're not ashamed of this accomplishment. We're not ashamed of this ball team. And so we wear all their garb. We know the difference between being ashamed of something and not ashamed of something. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he gives us some reasons why. So here's what I want you to think with me this morning as we uh, look at Romans chapter 1 a little bit. Why can we be excited about the gospel? Why can we be overjoyed? Why, what, what makes us anxious for the opportunity to share some, with someone the good news of Jesus? At least three or four thoughts. One of them, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. In the gospel is the power of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought much about the power of God, but it's pretty powerful. 
It's pretty big. I mean, by the power of God, he spoke one word, and all of creation came into existence. That's pretty impressive power. And the scripture's full of him doing amazing, incredible, powerful things, the splitting of the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk through, or his power uh, to stop the, the sun while Joshua's fighting the battle, and, the, and the, the, the power that he had to work through David's life to bring down Goliath, and, and the power he had to resurrect Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that, hey, the cross, to to people who don't get it, it's like foolishness. Because those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God through Jesus Christ. It's the power of God through Jesus Christ. And when he wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3, he ends that chapter by saying, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than anything any of us could ever ask or imagine, according to his power, which mightily works through, you know the next word? Us. His church. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of of God, it's, it's how he works through this good news story of Jesus. It's what has huge impact. Uh, many of us have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize and the various prizes that come from Alfred Nobel and getting those started. And, and perhaps you know that Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. Uh, maybe you didn't know that, now you know that. Uh, I, I don't know what it's in Kansas. One of the things I've learned about Missouri, we, I grew up in Missouri, but my wife and I recent, have done most of our years of ministry in Iowa, and we're recently back in Missouri. But one of the things I know in Missouri that you have to be 21 in order to buy dynamite. I, I know that about, I don't know why I know that about Missouri, but I know that. I don't know how old you have to be in Kansas to legally buy dynamite, but it's pretty significant stuff. Albert Nobel invented it in 1867. What's interesting, if you read about that, just a few years prior to that, in the process of trying to develop nitroglycerin into dynamite to have some kind of tremendous power under helpful control, his brother and four others were killed in an explosion in the process of trying to create it. It was so dangerous that the county in which he was doing his developing in banned him from doing any more study or experiments, and so he bought a barge and put it out into the water and did all the experiments on the bards so no one could prevent him from doing it. Extremely dangerous, but incredibly useful in making a difference in the world. That's the gospel. The power of God, that's the same word there. The the word that we read in our English language, it is the power of God, is the word from the Greek language that we get the word dynamite from. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is like dynamite in the world in which you and I live. And if you don't know it, the world needs some incredibly powerful, life-changing, impactful truth. The good news of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power it has, because of the provision it makes, for what it provides. It provides or brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
Later in verse 17 that I read earlier, the gospel, the righteous, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul's saying, hey, I can't wait to talk to you about Jesus Christ and the good news of his story and the difference it makes in our lives because of what that brings, what it provides, the difference it makes. Think about your own life for just a moment. Has Jesus made any difference whatsoever in who you are from what you used to be? Try to imagine that. I, I, I read recently in a, in a devotion the story of a, of a young girl who used to wear a cross around her neck everywhere she went, just a, you know, just a young uh, grade school girl, a bright, shiny cross, and one day when she was wearing it, a gentleman stopped her and said, you know, I, I like your cross, but you understand that that's not at all like the cross that Jesus died on. The cross that Jesus died on was just an ugly wooden thing, and just like that, she responded and said, I know that. But my Sunday school teacher told me that everything Jesus touches, he changes for good. So think for a moment. What has the good news of Jesus provided in your life? What difference has he, he made for you? If we, didn't, if we had nothing else of the New Testament except for the book of Romans, do you know what we can learn from the book of Romans that the good news of Jesus, the gospel brings us? We learn about righteousness being right before God. All right? we, we learn about in Romans that it is through Jesus and his story that you and I can be at peace with God. Now, if you're already there, that may have lost track of how important that is, but we live in a world that has anything but peace anywhere almost. And in the book of Romans, we understand because of the story of Jesus, the gospel, we have peace with God, the powerful creator, holy one over all things. I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting. It's in the book of Romans. The book of Romans in chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Jesus Christ. That is huge. You understand why that's so big? Because I have things in my life that I'm ashamed of. That I wish I hadn't done. That I wish I hadn't said. That I wish I could take back. And one of the biggest struggles, I think, for those of us who even have found Jesus is to grab a hold of that truth that in the story of Jesus, I'm given a point in my relationship with God that there is nothing in which God will ever condemn me for if I'm in Jesus Christ. Wow. The, the devil would want me to think otherwise. He would want me to be hesitant to speak up he'd want me not to invest in other lives he'd want me to protect myself he'd want me to blame it all on my upbringing or my habits or it's just who I am but the story of Jesus the gospel provides no condemnation in the book of Romans I learned that there's nothing nothing absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love that God has for me in Jesus Christ Past, present, things in heaven, things below. Uh, nothing in the past, nothing in the future. That's a pretty huge statement. Can separate from the, in the book of Romans, I learned that one of the things that the gospel provides me is victory. Because in the book of Romans, we're told if God is for you, who in the world could ever be against you? 
He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for you, how will he not also give you all things through Jesus Christ and Son in whom you love? Therefore, Paul says, I'm convinced that we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power it has that God can work through me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what it provides me, what it provides you, what it can provide the people you care about and you live around and need this transforming righteousness and justification and forgiveness and peace and joy. Third, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because of the people it reaches. It brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Again, I don't know you, so I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark that none of you are Jewish. If you are, I'd love to visit with you about that after the service. I'd get better acquainted. I'm just going to take a shot here in Coffeeville, Kansas, in the Westside Christian Church this morning. We're, we're all Gentiles, everyone who's not Jewish. Isn't it neat that in a A faith starting with Abraham that God so centered on the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, that a group of people so struggled that you read about that in the Old Testament and then even in the Gospels when Jesus tried to interact with people, they struggled with that so much that they didn't think anyone else belonged but the Jewish people. That Jesus, the story of Jesus, the good news gospel of Jesus comes along and says, it's for everyone who believes. Jewish people and also Gentile people. Now, God's been saying that since uh, the book of Genesis, but Jesus showed up and did it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the people it reaches. And I read through the scriptures of the people that Jesus changed their lives. In Mark chapter 5, we read about a man who's possessed by so many demons that he lives in the cemetery and is chained up and nothing can keep him under control. And Jesus shows up and the demons bow before Jesus and Jesus sets the guy free. And in Mark chapter 5, it says he becomes the first missionary that we read about in the gospel story. Jesus says, go home and tell your family and friends the good things God has done for you. That's that's mission work right there. You go to your family and your friends and you tell them the good things God has done for you. And and, in Luke 15, many of us probably know this prodigal son who has a father who's longing and waiting patiently for his son to return. And the gospel reaches him. It, It penetrates his life. It It makes a difference in him. And there's a a thief on the cross who one moment's a prisoner. And a short time later, Jesus says, you get to be in paradise with me. (laughs) Talk about reaching the unreachable. And then there's your neighbor. You just wish they knew Jesus, but you don't even know how to start the conversation with them. Or maybe it's your boss that's 
so unreasonable. You wonder, can anything help? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your prodigal child. Maybe it's your parents. John Newton, maybe you know his name, wrote a familiar course that we sing called Amazing Grace. John Newton at one point late in his life and health and thoughts were even failing. Some of his closest people were saying to him, you know, you probably ought to just retire and take care of yourself. And John Newton's response was, I may be losing a lot of my memory, but I still know two things to be completely true. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. That's the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because there's nobody can't reach. And you and I know people that need reach. In fact, I'm going to guess that maybe some of us here, or if you're watching on the live stream, some of us are wondering, is that really for me? I mean, yeah, I understand why that's good for, for the guy from Ozark. I mean, I understand why the preacher gets the gospel awarded to him. The, the people who have been around for ages. But what about me? What about me? I think one of the neatest things about the book of Romans is it makes it crystal clear that even the Apostle Paul, who in Timothy's letter, he said, hey, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Even the person who thought himself to be the worst sinner is saved through the story of Jesus, the gospel. The people it reaches, me, my life, my wife, Don and I here, we great. It's just... Incredible to watch how he's worked through our lives to bring us into a better and better and better relationship with him through his son, Jesus. Maybe you've heard the story about uh, Mary Ann Bird. She, she, she wrote a book, I believe. I've heard this story in several places, but she wrote a book entitled The, the Whisper Test. Maybe you've heard of that. Marianne Bird was born with a cleft palate years and years and years ago when there weren't all the medical procedures we could do today to, to address some of the, the impact that that brought upon a person. And so she had trouble speaking correctly and she didn't look like the other kids and, and was kind of outcast. And... When she was in second grade, she had a teacher named Mrs. Leonard. Uh, Mrs. Leonard was a, just a jolly, big, wonderful teacher. And she changed Marianne Bird's life through a thing called the whisper test. In those days, they did their hearing tests at school uh, by having the child stand at the facing out into the hallway of the door and the teacher's desk was some feet away and the teacher then would whisper some kind of phrase like uh, the sky is blue or a cow makes a sound like a moo or different phrases to see if the child could then repeat them. And when uh, 
Marianne Bird's turn came, and she stood in the doorway looking out. Mrs. Leonard said to her, I wish you were my little girl. And Marianne Bird says it was the seven words that changed my life forever. To know that someone wished that I was theirs. Guys, Paul is saying that's what God is saying to you and me. I wish that you were my little girl. I wish that you were my little boy. I want you to be in my family. The power it has, the provision it makes, the people it reaches, probably most important reason to not be ashamed of the gospel is the person it's about. The person it's about. The book of Romans starts this way, verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. The book of Romans ends with these words. To only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the first verse, and Jesus is in the last verse. In fact, Jesus is mentioned 29 times by either the name Jesus or the name Christ, and another 20 times by the pronoun referring to Jesus or Christ in the 16 chapters that, can, that we have categorized the book of Romans into. 49 times he refers to Jesus specifically, and the only chapter that doesn't mention his name is chapter 11, and I'm not even sure why that's not there, because that's an incredible chapter about God's incredible sovereignty and oversight of the world and how he works in lives, and Paul just didn't mention his name there. The gospel is most beneficial to our lives because it's most about Jesus and who you and I need in our life most is Jesus Don and I have five children all grown we have 11 grandchildren not all grown Uh, our youngest grandson's name is Dodge he's now five Two years ago, when he was three, we attended the International Conference on Mission that was in Kansas City, uh, and so did Dodge and his sister and parents. And so some of what went on there, one of the sessions we were in in the big auditorium, and so when you have little kids, some of you realize you kind of sit towards the back so that they can be a little less than quiet kind of thing, and Dodge is... There's only three, and so we were sitting in the back, and the session was various missionaries coming up and sharing for a few moments about what was going on in their lives, what mission, and one of the guys was speaking, and Dodge was sitting on my lap, and, and being pretty antsy, like a three-year-old, and, and pretty crazy uh, on my lap, but at least I was, for the time, was able to hold him on the lap and try to keep him somewhat quiet, and in the midst of that, and the noise going on in this big auditorium just by people being around, uh, the speaker was talking about his mission, and in the midst of it, he says, I want us all to just all together say Jesus. And Dodge stopped exactly what he was doing and looked up at me, kind of laying on my lap, and said, 
Jesus. The incredible thing at the moment was that our son Dodge has a speech disability. He's been going through speech therapy in his preschool for the last couple of years, and, and words are picking up and words are gaining. He, he does better, but he's still pretty hard to, to grasp what he's saying in many instances and even frustrates him as he tries to express it, as some of you may have experienced through yourself or family. And so he's battling through that. Two years ago, it was even more that, that it was pretty tough. But when he said Jesus, it was clear as a bell. And I remember thinking to myself, if he could never ever speak another word because of his speech disability, that would be the word I would want him to be able to speak. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first as well as to the Gentile. Because it's the gospel story about Jesus Christ who died on the cross that I might be made right with God to have peace, no condemnation, and a promise of eternal life. Wow. My understanding is that you guys here as a church family, take communion by coming here. There's a table in the back and gather your elements, either taking in here or returning to your seat. That's part of the worship service this morning flowing out of the sermon. So I've been asked to lead into that for you guys. That's what we've been doing for the last half hour. Leading into this moment. Do you understand when we take this juice, when we take this small wafer, it's Jesus' invitation to you. I want you to be my little boy. I want you to be my little girl. His invitation that says, it was for you that I died on the cross. I don't want you to forget that. No matter what else goes on in your life, I don't want you to forget that. So when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you that in all things you've done for us, the story of Jesus is most grand. And for all of the difficult things there might be of understanding your word at times or certainly the challenges of trying to live it out, one of the most basic, foundational truths for us is right now in this service when we share in these emblems to remember Jesus. We pray in his name.